Well, take your Bibles tonight, if you would, and go with me to Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. And uh, we're going to continue with our series that I started a couple weeks ago on practical Christianity. And uh, I, I hope in your life you're living out what you believe. And uh, it, it all starts with knowing what you believe. And that's one of the things that I, I talk to Brother Kenny a lot. He challenges our teens about uh, teenagers knowing what they believe, not just because mom and dad believe it, but because it's the Bible. And it's, it's what they hold to be dear to them. And I appreciate teens like we have that have a heart to know the Word of God, to live as a Christian ought to live. And, uh, you know, you can start living for the Lord even in your teens, right? And, by the way, as we get older, we can continue to live for the Lord. Amen? Amen. And so we need to continue to be a witness, and we need to continue to be an example of the believers. And so tonight, now, how many of you grabbed the outline? Anybody didn't get in here? Anybody did not get the outline? Raise your hand. Okay, Brother Gusslet, you got any? Keep your hand up. Brother Wally, anybody else did not get one? Uh, got everybody? Okay, now you have the outline. We're in Romans chapter number 12. Now take a look at this outline. Do you see all the blanks here? This, this is going to be more of a teaching tonight. Uh, but, it, but again, I'm just, uh, it might get a little preachy at times. But this is just following along. We're just going verse by verse through Romans chapter number 12. We're in the last part of the chapter. And so if you have a pen in hand, here's what you're going to do is you're probably going to have to keep your nose in the book tonight because I'm just going to go right through it. Now, if you look at, if you open it up on the inside of the outline, what word do you notice a lot? B. B. Now, anybody ever heard of Warren Wearsby? Yeah. Some, some of you have heard the name Warren Wearsby, maybe read some of his stuff. If you heard him preach, don't tell me because it'll just date you, all right? But, but uh, Warren Wearsby wrote a, a tremendous commentary series, and it all started with be strong, be kind, every, and, it, and it's, it's on different books of mostly the New Testament. I did not follow Warren Wearsby's uh, series to develop the message tonight. I just want you to know that. But it just fell that way because there are some things we'll see tonight when it comes to our are thinking about the brethren, which is what our lesson is about tonight. And, and honestly, there's so much information here. I'm just going to probably go through it, and then I'm going to let you take it home and be like that cow and just chew the cud for a while, all right? And just, just uh, digest it and then bring it back up and chew on it some more and then digest it and bring it back up, and I'll let you handle all that on your own, all right? So here we are in Romans chapter number 12. And as we get into this third portion, I want to remind you that all of this is about us living for the Lord, living lives as Christians that please the Lord. How many of you want your life to be pleasing to God? All right, I think almost every hand's gone up, and if your hand didn't go up, I don't, I don't want to know why it didn't. But here's the thing is, when we started Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 was about the believer, thinking about the believer. When we got to verses 3 through verse number 8, Last week, we covered that portion where, as a believer, we need to be thinking about the body, how that we're a part of the body. There are many members, but one body. Christ is the head of the church. We are the body of Christ. We covered some of that. We talked about those spiritual gifts, the pneumaticos that God gives to us. How many of you took that spiritual gifts test? Anybody? A couple of you did, and hopefully you, you figured out, maybe now you know what your spiritual gifts are. Knowing our spiritual gifts, God gifts us, the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts so that we can use them for the edifying, for the building up of the body of Christ. 
When we come to this last portion of Romans chapter number 12, we're actually moving into this section where we should be thinking not just about the believer and not just about the body, but be thinking about the brethren. Because remember, the church is not a building. The church is the people of God. And so we need to be thinking about the brethren. And Paul, as he writes here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he challenges us as believers, listen, as brethren, he challenges us to live together. And as we live together, certainly we're living together before the Lord. But also understand that as believers, we're living before this world, this world that we live in. Everywhere Paul went, he knew people were watching him, believers and non-believers. And so we need to learn to live together as a God-honoring family. That's what we need to do. So there's some basic thoughts tonight that I want to share with you from these verses that I think will help us as we reflect on thinking about the believers. So if you're there in Romans 12, look in verse number 9. The Bible says, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continue instant in prayer distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that, that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place, he says here, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Boy, you talk about a mouthful right there. That's why you have all those blanks in your outline tonight. Some of it, what I'm going to do is I'm going to define, explain. Now, again, it's not what I think. It's what God has said what thus saith the Lord. A lot of times, look, we don't need to gloss over and skip things in the Word of God. We need to read it and study it and understand it the way God's given it to us. And so as we look at this tonight, I want you to see this passage here dealing with us as believers among the brethren, living together before the Lord, before the world. And notice it begins, first of all, with our actions toward the brethren, our actions. Now, this is very important because we are known by our actions, the things that we do. Notice the first category of actions is the Bible deals with here in verse 9, beginning in verse 9 and so on. It deals with our social actions, the way socially we get along with one another. 
And notice here as we look at this, by the way, I'll, I'll say this, I'll preface. How many of you know when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the language that we have, that, that we use here in the United States, mostly the English language, and even in some of the other languages, Spanish, a few other languages, there is something called that which is an imperative. What's another word if something is imperative? It's a command. So it must happen. So now whose word is this we're studying tonight? God's word. And so if, it's, if something is in, in the imperative mood, then God's not suggesting it. God's not saying, hey, if you want to, God's commanding. Uh, Rogan, you remember the days, or maybe you still remember the days when you were given an order, not by Nazarel, but by your, your, your sergeant or whoever it was that was over you. What would happen if you disregarded a command? I want to hear it. I want to, I want to hear all the gory details. <laughs> all depends. But here's the thing is, commands are meant to be obeyed, right? And so think about this. This isn't Paul commanding us. This is God. And there are many of these commands that we see. So when we talk about our social actions here with one another, with the brethren, these social actions are the ones that actually make us a pleasure to live with. You know, some people are a pleasure to be around and other people, well, we'll just skip that for right now. But but notice here some social actions that you and I need to have. Write it down. Number one, the first social action towards the brethren is, in verse number nine, is we should be honest with one another. The word here is the word dissimulation. All right, everybody see that in verse number nine? Let love be without dissimulation. The word dissimulation means a false appearance. It, it's kind of putting up a front. The Bible is teaching us here that we should love the brethren with an honest love. And as we love them, that type of love knows no pretense. There's no false appearance here. It's a genuine love. The, the greatest example is the love that Jesus Christ had for us. You see, we need to love one another and be honest with them without dissimulation. Notice another social action towards the brethren, number two, is to be loving. The Bible says, look at verse number 10, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love. Now that word affection is a word that, that deals with this matter of be, that we are prone, it's our tendency to love someone tenderly. And again, we see this, that we are to love. Jesus talked about that when he was on this earth, that we are to love one another, and it, we should do it with a faithful devotion towards each other. Since we are family, look here, we ought to love one another as a family. And when I think about this, we're all a part of the family of God. And it's it, look, I need to love you, you need to love me, we need to set things beside and, and don't let things come between us, and he says, if we are going to be right with one another, we have to be kindly affectioned one toward another. We need to be honest. We need to be loving. Number three, we need to be humble. Look back at verse number 10. He says, in honor, preferring one another. Now, this is a command. This is, this is a harder one for us. Because you know what this means? The Bible's telling us that we are to put others ahead of ourselves. 
Now, doesn't that go against our nature? That just rubs us, you know? Uh, look, it's, it, it, everybody is out for themselves. And God says right here that we should, in honor, prefer one another. I think it's shameful sometimes what some people will do to get their own way in a matter. I mean, they'll work it, they'll finagle it, but can I say that God's way is that you and I would seek our brother's best in every situation. Put others, you know, you've probably seen this, my wife's name, I love it, the, the, the word joy. Jesus, others, and then you. See, we ought always put others before us. In our social actions toward the brethren, we need to be honest, we need to be loving, we need to be humble. Number four, we need to be diligent. Look at verse number 11, what the Bible says here in verse 11, not slothful in business. You guys know what a sloth is? Right? Lazy animal. God says, don't be slothful in business. This is talking about our dealings with one another. Uh, don't be slow. Don't be lazy. What does the Bible tell us? Look at Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatsoever, that pretty much covers it all, right? Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. God says, look, you need to be fully engaged, busy in the work that God's given you to do. Don't be slothful. Don't be lazy about something. And look, as, as we do work, listen, your job as a Christian is that the people that have to work with you, that they enjoy working with you. You ought to be the best employee in the place. You know, people ought to say, hey, listen, I don't know what it is about that guy. If they don't know what it is and you're a pleasure to work with and they keep working with you, guess what? They're going to soon find out what it is that makes you a pleasure to work with. And so here we see that God tells us that we need to be diligent in our social actions. Number five, we need to be helpful. We're just going down the list. Look back in your Bible, verse 13. Here's the words. Distributing to the necessity of the saints. What's he covering here about our social actions? He's talking about we as believers, that we are to enter into the burdens of fellow believers. Here's our brother down here, down front. He's got a burden. He doesn't talk about it. He shares it for prayer requests. He doesn't walk around saying, woe is me. But see, we can enter into that burden. The Bible says, bear ye one another's burdens. And so as we look at this, we can be helpful in that way. We can help them as their needs arise. And every one of us have needs. And it's so important that we understand when it comes to our social actions with one another that you and I would be helpful to one another. Number six, another way socially is to be open. To be open. Go back to verse 13. Look at the end of verse 13. Here's the three words. Given to what? Given to what? hospitality. Now you look at this word here, many times what people do is they, they, between one another, they try to build walls. That doesn't please God. Aren't you glad that Jesus, when he died on the cross, that the veil was rented too, and the middle wall of partition was removed, and now we have access to God? Aren't you glad for that? Amen. So here, look, God, God says, look, I want you, he says, I will build my church. We're not building the church, God is. 
But one thing we ought not to be doing is trying to erect walls between us. And so as we look at this here, he says, given the hospitality, what we need to try to do instead of building a wall is we are to reach out to our friends and do it as true friends. Be available. You know, that's the best thing you can do. Some of the best hospital calls I've ever made. I just go to the hospital and I just sit there with them. I don't have to go there and say a whole lot. They know why they're there. They know what's going on in their lives. And when they want to talk, they'll talk. I don't have to go there and read the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation to them. Sometimes the best quality is that we would be available. Now this also, this matter of being open, not only deals with the brethren, but it also carries over into how you and I, listen, we ought to love strangers as well. Boy, it doesn't take long. You go out into society, out into our community. Everywhere you go, people you meet, they have such burdens. They carry so many things with them. And just by being available to people, it's amazing how God can use us to help other people. Notice the next thing, number seven, socially, is he says, be kind. Look at verse 14. Bless them which persecute you. Look at that. Bless and curse not. I mean, regardless of what people do to you or what people do to me, the Bible says here, bless and curse not. In other words, don't sling mud at them. Matter of fact, what we are to do is we are to reach out in charity. The command here about being kind, bless and curse not, it is here it's commanding us to be pleasant and kind to others no matter what they do to us. That's a real Christian right there. Does that remind you of Jesus? See, when he, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. Jesus never opened his mouth. As a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. What a great lesson we can learn from our Lord and Savior. How that we too need to be kind. Number eight, look at this. Socially, the end of our list here in this particular portion of Romans 12 is we need to be compassionate. Look at verse 15. The Bible says, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that do weep. This matter of compassion, having their hurt in our heart. Now, look back, if you have your Bible, look back in verse number five of this same chapter. The Bible reminds us again, so we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. We're all members of the same body. You know, I, yesterday I was telling my Sunday school class this morning, I've been doing some work on, on, on some pavers in my backyard. And I've been, I, I kind of watched a few videos and so on. I've never, never done anything like that. And, and here's my attitude. I can do that. I can do that. And so I went back there and I started taking them apart. My wife just keeps asking me, now how long is it going to be before my, it's all back together? You know? And I said, it, it'll get there, it'll get there, you know. So a couple weeks I've been working on it. And, and, and so I, I, I've been out there and, and I've been working and I've been trying to get it back together. And, and honestly, it's, it's starting to look pretty good, to be honest with you. I'll take a picture next week and show it to you if you want to see it. But, but here's the thing is, as I've been working on that, I, I've been getting the, the material that I put down and then I, I get it all ready and I get it all packed down and then I get the pavers and I'm putting them back in and, and then I've, I've got this rubber mallet that weighs about two and a half pounds. 
And so once I get them down, you know, you have to, you have to hit on those pavers and get them compacted down so that they're not going to move around. And, and so I was working, and I'd been out there for a couple hours, and, and I, you know, in my mind, I kind of had it going the way I'd been doing the other ones. And, and I, I went to set one of the pavers down, and I took that, that mallet on that paver, and that was right in the way. I hit it right through the gloves, right on the tip of that thumb, and I was singing hallelujah, praise Jesus, out the back. Now, many years ago, I wouldn't have been saying hallelujah, praise Jesus, but I was that day, and I've got a, I've got a nice uh, blood thing going on underneath of that nail. You know, hopefully it won't go bye-bye, but I, I'm thinking to myself, that hurts. I, I, got, I was getting dressed this morning trying to tie this tie. And that thumb kept getting in the way. It hurt. It hurt. It makes my body hurt. Every time I bump it, I think about the pain that happened. But you know, I, I know from being your pastor that many of you have hurts in your life. Things you're going through right now. Do you know that bothers me? It hurts me. It's like having a child. Remember when you had a child and they were so little and they couldn't speak, but you knew they were hurting. And the Bible tells us, look at it again, bless them which persecute, or rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that do weep. We should hurt when they hurt. We should rejoice when they rejoice. I mean, look, don't get jealous when God blesses someone. Be thankful and, and rejoice with them when God begins to work and God begins to bless, when God's goodness comes into their life, when a time of crisis arises in the, the life of maybe a, a fellow brother or sister in Christ, look, let us try to enter into that need and let's try to help them to carry that burden that they have in their lives. I look at these eight ways that he gives us here socially, how that we ought to act towards the brother. Every one of these are ways that you and I can be more Christ-like one to another. They're ways to glorify Jesus, not only in the church, among the brethren, but in the world that we live in. Look at the verse there, John 13, 35, Jesus said it this way, by this, and you could take these eight actions, and of course there's many other things in the word of God, but by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, how? If ye what? Have love one for another. Charity covers a multitude of things, does it not? And so look, socially speaking, our actions toward the brethren. But notice number, letter B here, not only social actions, but spiritual actions. And when we think about spiritual actions, these are actions that actually equip us to be a blessing. How many of you want to be a blessing to someone? You know, I, I want to be a blessing to people. I don't try to be somebody that, that, gets, that rubs people and gets on their nerves. I want to be a blessing to people. And so he gives us here some spiritual actions that equip us. Notice in verse number 9, he says, after, after he said, let love be without dissimulation, look at this, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. So here's the first spiritual action, be holy. He says, I want you to be holy. Abhor that which is evil. Stay away from that which in the sight of God is evil. And he says here, look at it. He says, cleave to that which is good. Make sure that you hate the evil, but you are glued, that's the word cleave there, to that which is right. 
say this is something that's pleasing to the Lord. We have to be careful how we conduct our lives. Peter wrote it this way. God says, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. It, look, if you're saved tonight, you're a Christian. That's the biblical term. To be a Christian means to be like Christ. And if we're going to be like Christ, God is a holy God. And therefore, we should be a holy people, a peculiar people, a holy nation. And so the Bible teaches us here that if we are going to be able to be a blessing, we have to be a holy. God's desire is we would be a holy people. So we need to be holy. Look at verse number 11. Not only should we be holy in our spiritual actions, but look at, look at letter number two there. We should be excited. And I love this. I, I, when I think about what God has done for me, I love what the Bible says here in the last part of verse number 11. He says, fervent in spirit. Fervent. And you look at that word there, it means boiling and bubbling. Boiling and bubbling. You say, what in the world? Boiling and bubbling. The idea is that, that you and I, watch this, we're so excited for what the Lord has done for us that we are, our, our lives should be boiling and bubbling and making a noise for the glory of God. There's something about that guy, you know? Hey, listen, you might as well get used to it because someday when you get, with the, get to be with the Lord for all of eternity, I mean, what are you going to do when somebody is, is shouting praise Jesus all the time? You know, sometimes you get around some people and they're like, man, what's wrong with him? I'll tell you what's wrong with him. He got a good dose of Jesus. Every one of us as Christians ought to be excited about how we're saved by the grace of God. That we have a home in heaven because of what the Lord has done for us. We have a real vital relationship with the Lord. And you know what the world is looking for? They're looking for something that's real. Real. There's a lot of Christians today that are not real. Your walk needs to match your talk. Live the real life, the Christian life. Christians should determine in their hearts that they're not going to live a, a dull and a boring and a dead and a useless life. But look, we ought to be excited about the life that God has given to us. Listen, you, tomorrow you ought to wake up and say, I can't wait to do whatever God wants me to do today. I'm excited about a new day. Listen, the world, don't look, just turn off the news if it's got you down. Because there's no good news on there. You know, if you struggle with that, be excited. He says, this is one of our spiritual actions. Do you know that that is something that, that actually will catch on? Instead of spreading the coronavirus, why don't you spread your excitement for the Lord? He says here, be excited. Notice the third action, spiritually speaking, is in verse number 11. Look at the last part, serving the Lord. Here it is, be faithful. Just be faithful. The word serving here deals with this matter of in a position of a servant, acting accordingly. You know why we are to serve the Lord? Look at the verse here. Our verse is what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know what? You are not your own. We've all been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and the Bible tells us here that we are to be faithful to him. Why? Because he's been faithful to us, and we have no business being engaged in any other business than God's business. 
And this is a spiritual action that, that we ought to act towards the brethren, is we ought to be holy, we ought to be excited, we ought to be faithful. Number four, we ought to be happy. Say, wait a minute, I thought you just talked about being excited. It's different. This is different because look at verse number 12, and look at what it says here, rejoicing in what? Hope. You know, we ought to be the happiest people on the face of the earth. You know why? Because we have something that the world knows nothing about. We have hope. We have the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our Lord someday. We have the hope of heaven someday. And look, when we look at this matter of, about being happy, then every one of us, again, ought to, ought to be excited of the fact that we are saved. We've been forgiven, that we'll have a home in heaven someday. We have this hope, and let us not forget what the Lord has done for us. God says, look, you need to be happy. Put a smile on your face. You know it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile. And a lot of Christians really work at it. They exercise that muscle because they just want to be like this. Don't be a sourpuss. That's not a good billboard for God. Put a smile on your face. When somebody asks you, why you got your pearly whites hanging out? Say, because I love the Lord. I'm happy in Jesus. Some of you, I like that. Brother Kenny picked that song tonight, put a little smiley face up on there. Got some of you ex actually excited about the song a little bit. I'm happy in Jesus. That's the way we ought to be. That's one of our social actions, our spiritual actions towards another. Look at the next one here. Not only rejoicing in hope, number five, be hopeful. Now, go back to verse number 12. He says, yes, rejoicing in hope, but look at the next statement. Patient in what? Tribulation. Tribulation. You know, that's talking about pressures of life, things that come into our lives. Look, it's easy sometimes. We've been studying Joseph's life, how things come into our lives. And watch this. If we're not careful, we'll let those things drive us away from God instead of closer to God. Do you know they're designed by God to bring you closer to Him? But oftentimes we let those things because we take our eyes off the Lord. You know what God's doing? Just like he was doing in Joseph's life, he's working out his will every day in our lives. He, he loves us, and as our Father, he is seeking what's best for us. And so we need to be hopeful, patient in tribulation. And then look at the last spiritual uh, action here is be prayerful. Uh, chapter uh, number 12, look at verse number 12. He says in the end of verse number 12, continuing instant in prayer, our prayer life. This is something I, I constantly have to work at in my own life. God says, I want your, your prayer life to be vibrant. I want it to be uh, really the, the lifeline of your life as a believer. It's something that we ought not to neglect. We ought to be consistent in our prayer life. James wrote, confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth little, much. See, God says, just keep bringing it. I love how the Bible uses, and a lot of times people want to discount the Word of God, especially the King James Version of the Bible. I love the language that God chose to preserve, and I love how it's translated from God's, the language that God used into our language. I love those, a lot of times people say, well, I'm just too archaic. You know those ETHs that are on the end of some words? I love that. You know why? Because here's, you can't convey that from that language into our language without doing that. And those that translated it, it, they translated it accurately. Because as we go to God, here's what God's saying. 
when you come to me in prayer, do you want to just seek God one time or do you want to continue to seek him? If you want to get into the house, do you knock one time or do you just keep knocking on the door? If, if you want to find something, do you look one time or do you keep looking around? You, you move all the furniture, you grab the broom, you sweep the floor until you found whatever it is you lost. And that ETH means that you don't just knock. That means when you go to God in prayer, And you know what God says? He's serious. This is something that means something to him. And so he says, look, one of the things spiritually towards the brethren is we need to pray for them. Pray for them. So our actions toward the brethren, all right? You got all your blanks filled in? Here we go. Number two, what's our attitudes towards the brethren? Not only our actions, but our attitudes. Do you know that having the right spirit you can say just about anything you want as long as you say it the right way. Did you hear that? There were many times where Jesus spoke on some things that were very difficult for people to hear. But you know why they listened and why they heard it and why it impacted their lives? Because of the spirit with which he said it to them. When I look at this attitude between us and the brethren, notice a couple things that I see. First of all, we need to walk as a family walk as a family, how we conduct our lives. Look at verse number 16 right here. He says, be of the same mind one toward another. Never allow ourselves. Listen to me. We're a part of the body. Don't allow yourself as a part of this body of believers to be disconnected from your Christian family. I mentioned this morning, God's created us to be dependent we're dependent on him, and we're dependent on one another. And it's very important that we see this. When he says here, be of the same mind one towards another, it's really a plea for humility in our lives. It's a plea for unity, to have compassion one to another, to walk as a family. How many times have I seen a family or a church divided? You ever see those uh, bumper stickers sometimes where you'll have like uh, on the bumper it's divided in half and it says a divided house and on this corner it has a New York Yankee logo and on this corner anybody know what it has no Red Sox Red Sox a divided house uh, I've seen pictures where the whole family will go to a ball game. I, I remember seeing that a family went to one of the St. Louis Cardinals ball game and they were playing the Dodgers. Boo, the Dodgers. And so they were playing the Dodgers. And so the dad's over here and he's wearing uh, the Dodger blue hat, the Dodger blue shirt. And there's one little girl in the family and she's wearing the blue hat, the blue shirt. And then I look over and there's mom with her cardinal red hat and her cardinal red shirt and two little boys that are wearing the red hat and the red shirt, and they're with mom, and they're with dad, that, that family doesn't have a chance. Those people in blue must get saved in order for that house to be right. And I'm going to tell you something. It does not please God when a, when a family, a church, the brethren, do not walk together. How can they be agreed, the Bible says? We have to walk together. Don't ever allow yourself to be disconnected 
Listen, the Bible, the one animal God uses that he likens us to in the, in the Bible is what? Sheep. Sheep are dumb. They wander off. They can't defend themselves. You know what a sheep need? A shepherd. And you know what? There's safety in numbers. The Bible teaches us to walk as a family. Notice another attitude that we ought to have. Not only walk as a family, but moving on in verse 16, we need to walk in fellowship. Walk in fellowship. Go back to verse 16. He says, mind not high things, but condescend, look at it, to men of low estate, be not wise in your own conceits. There's no one in this family among the brethren here, there's no one that should feel like they're better than anyone else, and that starts with me. You know, look, I might have, been, I might have gone to Bible college. I might have taught in a Bible college. I might have had plenty of opportunity. Guess what? In God's eyes, I'm no better than anyone else in this auditorium tonight. Not one of us are any better than the other. We are all sinners saved by the same blood and saved by the same grace. Every last one of us need to understand that. And so here's how Paul, thinking about fellowship, here's a tremendous verse, look at it. Only let your conversation, your walk, your lifestyle, let it be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for what? The faith of the gospel. There's a great illustration right there that we are to walk in fellowship. Philippians 2.4, let not, let look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We've got to be walking in fellowship. It's so important that we understand that our attitude ought to be right, that we are all saved by the grace of God. So we need to walk as a family. We need to walk in fellowship. Thirdly, we need to walk in forgiveness. Now look, I'm just going down, verse 17, look at this. Recompense to no man evil for evil. The Bible says here, recompense to no man evil for evil. The Bible says in Luke 17, Jesus said unto his disciples, look at these words, it is impossible, but that offenses, what's those next two words? Offenses what? Will come. Have you ever been offended? You haven't? Some of you have? About every day we get offended. You know, some business place or somebody does us wrong. Jesus said, look, it's going to happen. Offenses are going to come, but look at this. But woe to him through whom they come. Don't be the one that is offending other people. We have to learn that when the offenses come, don't respond to those offenses by saying, you know what, I'm going to get even with him. I'm going to get back at him. That's not the spirit of Christ. See, we, we have to walk as, as a family. We have to walk in fellowship. We have to walk in forgiveness. And, and the Bible's commanding us here, we have to learn to practice forgiveness. I remember even before, early on, maybe I, I was saved there in the early days, I'll never forget my dad and my uncle, how they got into it over something about my sister and his, his daughter, my cousin. And, and there was my, my cousin, whether she thought she borrowed it or whatever, but she took a, a, some jewelry that belonged to my sister. And 
without asking her, and my sister couldn't find it for a long time, and then she found it in my cousin's belongings, and she questioned her about it, and they got into it, and it spilled over into my dad and my uncle, and for 10 years, those two men, best friends, never said a word to each other. 10 years. And I remember, I, I talked to my dad, I, a couple of people, and, and listen, I didn't go to my dad and say, hey dad, it was all your fault, but I did say to him, you know, hey look, you know, you need to, you, need, you and Uncle Bill need to get things straightened out. I mean, when you stop and think about it, most of the time when we're upset with somebody and we won't forgive them, if you really stop and think about it, most of the time it's over things that really don't matter. It was over some necklace that probably wasn't even worth $10. For 10 years, they never talked to each other. And then I remember my dad, my dad said, okay. My, and so my dad took the lead, and he, I, I was there. He walked up to my Uncle Bill, and he tried to apologize, and my Uncle Bill did this. And he just stood there, turned his back on my dad. And I said, watch this. I said to my dad, you did all that you were supposed to do. You can lay your head on your pillow at night. God says we need to learn to practice forgiveness. Look at the Bible says in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now, if, it, if that's all it said, that would be enough. But look at the example. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Anybody in here tonight besides me been forgiven? <laughs> Is Jesus holding anything against you? Your sins, my sins, are under the blood. When you think about somebody that wrongs you, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to forgive them. Walk in forgiveness. Look at this, letter D. Not only walk as a family, walk in fellowship, walk in forgiveness, but walk in faithfulness. Look at the last part of verse number 17. He says here, provide things honest in the sight of all men. So here's a command that our lives, we should live our life in such a way that brings honor and glory to the Lord. Make sure your life's not a reproach to, to God. We should live our lives as, as our life is a thing of beauty. That those that observe our lives, that they should say, you know, there's something about that person. Nothing is more important, and this is the way I feel, there's nothing that honors God more than a life that is being faithful to God. Some of you, a lot of times, that's what I'll say to you is, thank you for being faithful. The best thing you can do for the Lord is be in your place. Be faithful to what God has given to you. So, look, we, we think about our actions to the brethren. Our actions socially, our actions spiritually. Then he covers this matter of our attitudes. How's our attitudes towards the brethren? And then he finishes it by uh, talking about our, our affections toward the brethren. Our affections. In verse number 18, here, he begins here. Look at these words. If it be possible. Some of you right now are going, well, it's just not possible. <laughs> you know that little word, if? It's a conditional word. It's a clause here. God says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with who? All men. What does all mean? It means all, right? So here, here's what he says, be, letter A, be peaceful. Live peaceably. We're commanded to make sure that there is peace in the family of God. That there's peace in the family of God. Every one of us, we're all responsible for our own actions on this matter. And what you and I need to say as Christians is, look, 
it doesn't matter what other people are going to do. I am going to go the extra mile. I'm going to do what I should do, and I'm not going to wait for them to come to me and, and, and for them to take the first step. Look, I'm going to take the first step, like my dad did with my uncle, and, and we need to offer the apology first. Don't wait for them to come to you. Take the lead to make sure that you are seeking peace among your brethren, that maybe there's something about, something between you. Why? So that we can have harmony in the family of God. Every believer, and listen, every one of us, if we would do our part, there would be no place for trouble or disunity among the family of God. So he says, look, our, our affections towards each other, verse 18, if it be possible to live peaceably with all people. And then the second thing he says is be patient. Be patient. Verse 19, dearly beloved, watch this, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. What's those last three words? Say it the Lord. Boy, how many times do we try to take things into our own hands? I'm going to get him. I'm going to repay him for what he paid me. And God says, look, I just want you to be patient. Don't take matters into your own hands. When you've been offended by somebody, and, and, and I've had this happen in my life. When, when I, I've been offended, I've gone to them, try to make it right, Matthew, Matthew 18. And, and sometimes when you go, listen, just because I go to them, just because I'm trying to make it right, doesn't mean that they're going to want to make it right. Has that ever happened to you? You know, they, they like my uncle, they turn their back and... And if they refuse to make it right, then what do you do? Well, you clock them. You give them five. No, you know what you do? You just leave it to the Lord. That's all you can do. I can't make a person. If I go to them and try to make things right, listen, I've done my part. If, I, if my heart's right, my motives are pure, I'm following the instruction of the Word of God, if I go to them and they refuse, then look, the only thing I can do is just give it to the Lord. That's what he's teaching here is just be patient. It's not our place to get revenge. Look, you know what our place is? Our place is to love them. Our place is to leave them in the hands of God. You know why? Because what happened, the Lord saw everything. He knew what happened. And guess what? I, I'm a firm believer in this. I find it in the Word of God. That, listen, although we may have tried and it didn't happen, God will eventually set the record straight. He will. He always has. And so we've got to be patient. Look at the third affection. We need to be positive. Look at verse 20. Therefore, he says, if, if thine enemy, if thine what? Enemy. Now watch this. If they hunger, what are we supposed to do? Feed them. If they thirst, what are we supposed to do? This is our enemy. He says, for in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Say, man, that's what I want to give him, some hot coals on his head. That's, that's not the terminology here. See, when I look at this matter about being positive, since the Lord will deal with fault, we are to take the lead in being a friend to our enemy. Jesus even instructed that. There's a lot of people... That honestly, I learned a long time ago that most of the time when they're upset, they're not upset at me personally. They just they oppose Christ, the work of God, God Himself. 
And so oftentimes, and can, listen, can I remind you of this? Before you got saved and before I got saved, according to the Bible, we were enemies of God too. That's what the Bible tells us. See, what happens is the Lord will have us to reach out to them. And the way we reach out to them is with love and with humility. If they rebuff us, again, that's between them and God. Leave that in the hands of the Lord. But we've done our part. We've done everything that the Lord requires of us. And instead of getting down with them, uh, getting down when, when they, we have been done dirty by somebody, what we need to do is just seek to be more like Jesus when somebody is that way towards us. Look at the words Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I've looked at those words many times. Jesus is hanging on the cross. A lot of times I read that verse and I think to myself, there's no way that they didn't know what they were doing. But you know, the Bible talks about how people's conscience becomes seared. A couple of us men were talking about coming back from, from going out yesterday and, and I, I, I just said something to one of them. I said, can you imagine being a, a doctor and getting up in the morning taking a shower, getting dressed, putting on your suit, going down to the kitchen, sitting around the kitchen table with your wife and your little children, maybe read the newspaper, finish your breakfast, get up, kiss your kids goodbye, kiss your wife goodbye, grab your briefcase, go out and get in your, your Mercedes Benz or your Rolls Royce and drive to the hospital and spend all day aborting babies. comes home at the end of the day. How was your day, honey? You say, how is that possible? Because people's conscience has been seared. And Jesus said, listen to this, forgive them for they know not what they do. He wasn't dying for his sins because he didn't know sin. He was dying for their sins, for our sins. When I look at this, how you and I, look, that, when I think of Jesus, you know what that is? That's godliness in action. And, and every one of us should live for the Lord. Why? Because we want our lives to bring glory to God. And when that happens, when we live a life like Jesus did, this world does not know how to respond to that. They don't know how to defend against that when a Christian lives like the Lord has intended us to live. And so I think of these affections, we ought to be peaceful towards them and patient towards them, positive towards them. And the last one in verse 21, we're to be pleasant. And the Bible says here in verse 21, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't be a person always looking for something to be upset about. Be a person that, that's trying to be Christ-like in every situation. We have no control. Folks, we cannot control the people that do stuff to us any more than we can control the weather. But I'll tell you what you can do is you do have control over how you respond to them. We do. And, and you have control over how you treat them. And God says here in verse 21, overcome evil with what? Good. See, when I look at that verse there, he's saying be pleasant. Just be pleasant to other people. And if we are pleasant towards them, what's God going to do? God's going to bless our lives. See, this portion of Scripture, look at it. From verse 9 to verse 21, 
folks, it doesn't get any more practical. All the commands that he gives to us. Every last one of us does our lives, when I look at this, maybe you can go home, maybe this week, look at this list. Ask yourself this question. Does my Christian life measure up to these commands? How does it measure up? Am I being all these things towards others? Is there room in my life for improvement? And if there's room for improvement, then what do we need to do? Make the necessary adjustments. I need to be better in this area. I need to stop doing this. I need to quit trying to take things into my own hands. We can't control others, but we can control ourselves. We can. And I I love the admonitions here. And here's what God's saying tonight is, look, he started this chapter, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He talked about the believer, talked about the body, and then he talks about how we ought to think about the brethren. If you care about God, then you should care about others. And when you put yourself back there and put others before you, then you will start to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me tonight? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, How's your actions tonight, socially, spiritually? How's your attitude? Are you walking? Walking as a family, walking in fellowship, walking in forgiveness, walking in faithfulness. What about your affections? Are you living a life that is peaceably with all men? Are you being patient with people? Being positive? Are you being pleasant? See, the only way to honor God is to be more like Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this invitation on this Sunday night. Thank you for those that came, and I pray that you used your word tonight to apply it to their lives the way you did to mine. It's really a sobering portion of scripture from verse 9 to verse 21 because it hits us in so many ways. If we look in the spiritual mirror, we'll see ourselves for who we are. No pretending with you, God. You know who we are. You know our hearts. And maybe tonight, during this just simple time of invitation, Maybe some of your people, your children, would just come to the altar and ask you to help them in some areas of their life. Bless this time of invitation in Christ's name. Amen. Would you-